0: Well, last week we were talking about primeval history. That's not a term that you hear very often in a church setting. And so I want to make sure that we review it and understand it. Can somebody tell me what primeval history is? You need to refer to your notes, that's fine. Say it louder. Initial history history of the world. Primeval history. It's a great definition is the initial history of the world. What chapters of Genesis does that cover? One through eleven. First eleven chapters talk about primeval history, how the world we came, how the world we live in came to be, the origin of evil, the origin of nations, uh, everything about it, the, the history, beginning history of the world. Now Genesis chapters 12 through 50 is where we're going to start launching into tonight. We definitely won't get through 12 through 50, but, but Genesis 12 through 50 explains not the history of the world, but the history of one family. And what is that history called? Patriarchal history. Genesis 12 through 50 compri- uh, comprise what is known as the patriarchal narratives, or the stories of the patriarchs of Israel. The patriarchs, of course, means what? Help me here. We're just reviewing. Patriarchs means that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what does that term mean? Patriarchs. Fathers. They're our our spiritual fathers. They are uh, the spiritual fathers of of Judaism as well as Christianity. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here's what I want you to think about in terms of what we're going to be studying tonight. Genesis 12, and and we'll, we'll go as far as we can. Uh, But beginning in Genesis 12, we begin to see God's redemptive history unfold. God's redemptive plan unfold. How is God going to address the problem of evil that was introduced in Genesis 3? How is God going to address the need for redemption? And what we see beginning in Genesis chapter 12, in a very real sense, we see God starting to overcome the curses of Genesis 1 through 11. In Genesis 12 and following. Now, at the end of Genesis 11, it's what we looked at last week. This is where we got to. At the end of Genesis 11, we're introduced for the first time to a man named Abram. And he's the one we're going to focus on tonight. We'll get as far as we can, but we're going to focus our time on Abram. He was a descendant from the line of Seth. And here's what we learn in the very first verses of, of, uh, of the story, if you will, of Abram. Beginning in Genesis 11, verse 27, it says, this is the account of Terah. Now, remember, each family story in the book of Genesis is introduced with this little nugget. This is the account of. That's, that's always important in the book of Genesis. And you don't have to read very far to, to realize that really it's not the story of Terah so much as it is the story of Abraham. Let's read a little bit of the text Verse 27, chapter 11. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. and The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarah or Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter in law, Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, there's several key statements in these verses that are just kind of introductory to what we want to talk about tonight. The first statement is, I want you to notice, there is a special note about Sarai's barrenness. The author, Moses, makes a special point to tell us in verse 30, now Sarai was, was barren. She had no children. Emphasis there, she's barren. And if that's not enough information, she had no children. That's going to be an important part of the story. As we read chapter after chapter after chapter, we're going to see that come up again and again that Sarai was was barren and she had no children. That's going to be an important part of the faith journey of Abram. Another key statement in these early verses is Abraham's family set out from Canaan, or set out for Canaan, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of the son of Abram. And together they set out from, from where? From Ur of the Chaldeans to, to go to Canaan. We'll talk about why in a moment, but just notice they're leaving. How many people have moved to another part uh, of the United States before? Raise your hand if you've ever... All right, then you know what that feels like, don't you? You know what it feels like to pack up, and to leave what you've called home and to move to another part of the United States or maybe even another part of the world. That's what we're talking about in this situation. Terah, we're not told why yet, but Terah decides to move his family. Moving his family from Ur and heading towards Canaan. Now, the, the thing that I want you to notice next, the third kind of introductory statement about these verses is where they, land, where they landed, where they settled. Where were they headed? I just told you, where were they headed? Canaan. They didn't make it there. Moses makes a point to say, but when they came to Haran or Haran, they settled there. So we have these three introductory statements that are all significant. Sarah is barren, she has no children. They leave Ur to go to Canaan. And they settle in Haran. So, if you're doing any kind of a study, it ought to cause you to say, Well, I wonder where that is and what that looks, what that trip looked like. And so, we need to do a map study to kind of get our lay of the land here. So, we're going to put it on the screen. We're going to put it maybe. All right, if it pops up, y'all let me know. Okay. Let me tell you about these places, and maybe I can show them to you in a minute. Ur. Ur is in current day Iraq. That's where Abraham was born, it's where his family lived. Current day Iraq. All right, good. All right, so this is the Old Testament world. This is the Old Testament world. When you're reading through the Old Testament, strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to get a map out and to look at the places that you're reading about. It'll make so much more sense to you. It'll be such a deeper understanding. Now, I may have told you this before, but in seminary, one of my classes, you know the name of the class? Maps. The entire semester, we studied maps. You know, you know what the final exam was? A blank map. 200 places I had to name on that blank map. But you know what it did for me? I saw the value for the first time in my young life. I saw the value of reading the Bible and reading a map. And putting the two together. And I think you'll see it tonight. So let's look at the next slide Let me show you where Ur is. You see that red circle? That's Ur. In current day Iraq. That's where they were living. And that's where they were leaving. Now, it says that they were going to go to Canaan. Look at this next slide. Canaan's over on the left. Canaan is what we would call today Israel. Alright, so so Terah is going to take his family. They're leaving Ur. And they're going to go to Canaan. Now, the shortest distance between two points is straight line. But you try to go that way, you're going to die. Because between Ur and Canaan, if you can sit on the map, what, what is in between them? The Arabian Desert. So if you were traveling east to west or west to east, either one, you didn't go across the desert, not if you wanted to live. If you wanted to go across the desert, you followed what's called the Fertile Crescent. Don't put it up yet. But the reason it's called the Fertile Crescent is because do you see the... I don't know if you can see it from where you are. Do you see the Euphrates rivers and the Tigris rivers up above Ur? If you're traveling, you have to go where there's water. If you're going to travel for weeks or months, you've got to be able to travel wherever there's water. So if you were going to travel from Ur over to Canaan, or from Iraq over to Israel, in that day you would not go across the Arabian Desert. You would have gone northwest because that's where the water is. Now, put up the next slide. This area is called the Fertile Crescent. That would have been the trade route. That would have been the travel route for anybody, for everybody. And that's where people lived, by the way, as well. That's where they moved, again, because that's where the water was. And so that's called the Fertile Crescent. That's where you had vegetation. That's where you had food. That's where you had water. And so they would have traveled this route to go from Ur over to Canaan or over to Israel, what we call Israel. Now go to the next slide. Here's where they stopped. Look at the next one. You see the red circle there at the top? That's where Haran is. So they're going to Canaan. How far did they get? About halfway. About halfway. Now the question is, before we talk about this going halfway, the question is, why did they leave to begin with? Why was it that all of a sudden, Terah, the father of Abram, said, you know, I know we've grown up in Ur, but, but I, I think we need to go over to Canaan. Why, why would they take that journey? Why would they leave their home? Well, if you'll go to the... New Testament book of Acts, you'll find the answer. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is appearing before the Sanhedrin. And he gives a speech, and as he gives a speech, in his speech, he basically summarizes the Old Testament. It kind of tells the story of what God did in the Old Testament. And so we'll pick, up, pick this up. <clears throat> the high priest, verse 1, asked him, said, are, you, are these charges true? To this he replied, Stephen replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in where? Mesopotamia. You can see Mesopotamia there in Ur. While he was still in Mesopotamia, God appeared to our father Abraham before he lived where? In Haran. And here's what God said. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans. And he settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. That is, Stephen is saying, after Terah died, God brought him here. Here being Jerusalem, Israel, Canaan. So watch this, verse 4, read it again. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living, here in Jerusalem. He gave him, watch this. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that, that he and his descendants after him would, would possess the land. Even though at that time, Abraham had no child. so once again, we see this story unfolding this time in the New Testament about how God is going to take this man to a land, this chosen man, Abraham. God is going to take him to a land. God is going to give him this land to him and to his seed. And we're told once again, and he had no child. Now, I want you to notice that in Acts chapter 7, Abraham received a call of separation. It says, leave your country and your people. Look on the map again. Look at Ur. God said, here's what I want you to do. Now, now just look at the map and try to visualize this, and let me talk to you for a moment. You just keep looking at the map. God said, I want you to leave your country and your people. You know why? At least one of the reasons is because Ur was a hotbed of idolatry. Ur was a a hotbed of, of godlessness. God had special plans for Abraham. Get this. God had special plans for Abraham, but first, he had to leave the old life to obtain the new life. Don't miss that. God had special plans for him, but he had to leave the known to experience the unknown. He had to leave what was comfortable to experience the divine. It was also a call, not only of separation, it was a call of dedication, because God said, Go to the land that I will show you. I love Hebrews eleven eight that describes this experience this way. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Was the last time you moved like that? Was the last time you got the moving track? This and now where are we taking this? I don't know. God will show us. Now, Abraham leaves, Abraham and his whole family and his father, they leave Ur, you see that on the map, and they stop in Haran, you see that on the map. As you have said already, you have already recognized, it was about halfway between Ur and Canaan. And we're not told exactly why they stopped halfway. I wonder, I just wonder if... And this is just speculation. It's not Scripture. It's just speculation. I wonder if maybe one of, maybe Terah, maybe Abraham, I wonder if somebody said, you know, this seems like it's far enough. It seems like it's far enough away from, from that godlessness we lived in. Maybe this will be okay. Maybe this would work right here. Maybe this is good enough. I, I remember early in my ministry, I preached on this text And I had to go back this week and look up in my sermon, because I still have all my sermons, believe it or not. Not that I want to go back and look at some of them, but I still have them all. And I went back and looked in my sermon file, and I pulled out the sermon. I should have brought it. It was written on on, uh, notebook paper and uh, not typed or anything. And it was sermon number 13. Still have it, sermon number 13. And the title of the sermon was, Wasted Years. And the whole premise of the sermon was this. How long did Abraham live in Haran when God really wanted him in Canaan? How many wasted years were there? And and in the sermon, I read it again this week. In the sermon, I, I asked this question. How many people are living in the halfway house of Haran? Halfway to what God really wants them to do. Halfway experience what God really could give them. You know, I'm afraid that so many times we start out with great excitement, great conviction. But when you stop about halfway to what God wants you to be, or about halfway to what God wants you to do, then you've given up. You've stopped. and You're wasting years. So, with that as the background, let's go now to Genesis chapter 12. And this is where we really want to dig in. Genesis chapter 12, chapter 11, he talks about that they left Ur. Acts chapter 7, Stephen explains that they stopped halfway. Now, notice how Genesis 12 begins in verse 1. When you put all those pieces together, notice how Genesis 12, 1 begins. The Lord had said to Abram. You see that little word, had it doesn't say the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people. It says the Lord had said to him. In other words, God had a previous conversation, which is what Acts 7 is referring to. God had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And, and then after that, God makes this promise to him once again. We see this promise. He says beginning in verse 2, verse 2 and 3, that this is the promise of God. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, that ought to be boxed in your Bible, highlighted, circled, something, because that's such an important scripture. But here's what I want you to understand. God made this promise. I, listen, I'm going to make a, a nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless people through you. Look at the map. Look at the map. That never would have happened if he would stayed in earth. Never would have happened. God said, I've got a place for you. I've got a land I want to give you. And I plan to put you in that land, and then I'm going to bless your seed. Then I'll bless the nations. So let's pick up the story. Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram left. That is, he left Haran. Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75. Keep that in mind. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, apparently, they were in Haran for a good while, because it talks about all the stuff that they acquired while they were there. So, apparently, they, they were there for a good while, and eventually, though, he does... Go on to the land of Canaan. And I want you to notice at the very end it says, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Once they got there, Abram, verse 6, traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Abram travels the whole land. God makes this promise as He's viewing the land, as He's walking on the land. God makes this promise in verse 7. To your seed, I will give this land. But Now watch this. Beginning here, through the rest of Genesis. And you'll get tired of hearing this, but it's over and over and over. Beginning here through the rest of Genesis, the promised land. Here's what's played out in one way or another. The promised land will be given to the promised seed, which will become a great nation, and bless the nations. Now, that's played out through the story of Genesis. Chapter 12 through 50, you'll see it again and again and again. The promised land will be given to the promised seed, which will become a great nation, and there'll be a blessing to the nations. But here's the problem. The Canaanites live there. I'm going to give you this land. And it tells us here in this this verse... uh, uh, verse six. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Uh, here's another problem with that promise. Sarah is barren; she has no children. How old is Abram at this time? How old? Seventy-five. Would you say the clock is ticking? <laughs> the clock has quit. <laughs> Now, just keep that whole big picture in mind. Uh, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless your seed. And through your seed, I'm going to bless the nations. Oh, parentheses, there is this little problem. The Canaanites live there. And here's this other little problem. Sarah is barren, childless. God says that in verse 7. In verse 8. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Translation. After God said this, Abram worshiped God and he's trusting this God who's made a promise. Wow. Notice how the chapter ends. The chapter ends. This is so important. The chapter, we're not... It doesn't end yet, but the middle part of this chapter, the story ends that Abram is worshiping this God who has made this promise. But then, as he lives in this land, the land of Canaan, there's a famine in the land, and Abram, and, and some, some criticize Abram for this, that he didn't trust God and stay where he was supposed to stay, the land that God had given him. He didn't trust God to meet his needs. Uh, you could make a case either way. But, but because there's a famine in the land, look in the left corner, bottom left corner. Abram leaves Canaan and he goes down to Egypt. Now remember, we've just heard God say, I'm going to make you this promise. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm, I'm, going, to, you know, I'm going to do all these things and bless the nations. And, and I know there's Canaanites and I know Sarah's barren, but just trust me. And, and Abram worships God. That's how the story ends until he goes to Egypt you see when he goes to Egypt th- this is just amazing here's let, let me just read the story I, I don't even need to tell you about it verse 10 now there was a famine in the land and abram went down to egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe he was as he was about to enter egypt he said to his wife sarai i know what a beautiful woman you are that's, that's obvious shorter translation that's obvious when the egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. What husband does that? Listen, I, I know you're a beautiful woman. They're going to want you. Pharaoh's going to want you, and, 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 and it won't be a big problem for him to kill me to get to you. So here's the plan. When we go to Egypt, tell them you're my sister. All right? Okay, that's what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so let's see what happens. This is, this is pretty amazing. Verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. He was telling the truth. Verse 15, when, when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh as she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and men servants and maidservants and camels. I mean, he's getting rich off this deal. Verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife. Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram what have you done to me he said why didn't you tell me she was your wife why did you say she is my sister and, that, and, and so that I took her to be my wife now then here is your wife take her and go then, then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had and we're left wondering what does this have to do with the story But remember this part of the story. In this part of the story, we see that this one to whom God has made this promise is flawed. So are you. So am I. This one that God has chosen is flawed. And so are you. And so am I. This one through whom God would work to bless the nations is flawed. Nothing perfect about him. He has his own flaws and problems. And yet, God chose him. And God said, I'm going to bless the nations through you. So we're going to have to speed up now. I just intentionally took some time with that. But in chapters 13 and 14, it's the story of of Lot, his nephew, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 13, we'll just read a few verses because, again, we see the promise of the land and the seed. Chapter 13, verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north and south, east and west. All the land that, that you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And once again, look what happens. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Every time the Lord makes his big promise, Abram bows down in worship. He's worshiping this God who's made a promise that is unbelievable. And oh, by the way, he's still childless. Chapter 15 is a key chapter in the Bible. Definitely a key chapter in the story of Abraham and in the book of Genesis. For in chapter 15, God finally makes an official covenant with Abram. Heretofore, it's just been God's promise. And God's always going to keep his promise, but here he makes an official covenant. The second covenant in the Bible. The first one was the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. This one is the Abrahamic covenant, the second covenant in the Bible. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I was thinking of that verse today while the choir was singing that song. I am your shield. I may preach a series on that. I, was just, I, just, I just was just blessed by that today. And I, I kept thinking about this verse. I am your shield and your very great reward. Verse 2. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Here's what's happening. I don't think I'm reading too much into this. I think Abram has, has grown tired of hearing, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your seed and you're going to have a lot of kids and a lot of descendants and we're going to, I'm going to bless the nation. He's heard that over and over and over. Finally, Abraham, instead of worshiping, which he has been doing, now he's kind of hit the limit. He says, wait a minute. You keep saying you're going to do that. Look at the text. Oh Sovereign Lord, verse 2. What can you give me? You can't give me anything. What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one that's going to inherit my estate is is the child of one of my servants. Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then, this is amazing, this is amazing. He took him outside, and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abram, come here, come here, come outside with me. I want you to look up and start counting. Count as long as you can count. And then you're going to get to the point where you can't count them all. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm making a covenant with you. Your I know you're childless. Your offspring is going to be more than the stars in the sky. Now verse 6 is a key verse in the whole Bible. And it's, it's the key verse even to your salvation. Verse 6, it says this. Abram believed the Lord and he, the Lord, credited it to him as what? Righteousness. That verse ought to be highlighted in every Bible. Abram believed the Lord. And it was put to his credit as righteousness. You may not know this, but, and we don't have the time to dig into it. Let me just give you the references. That verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Galatians 3.6, Romans 4.3, and James 2.23. I'll say it again. Galatians 3.6, Romans 4.3, and James 2.23. I am amazed, I don't know about you, but I am amazed that Abram believed the Lord when there was no reason to do so, at least from a rational standpoint. Abram was childless. Sarah was barren. God's promise was that he would have more children, more descendants than he could ever count. And the Bible says, And Abram believed the Lord. The word believe, by the way, means to put your whole weight on. Abram leaned wholly on the promise of God and on the God of the promise. And it was counted to him, it was credited to him, as righteousness. And the Bible makes the case, by the way, this is another example of how we don't unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. The Bible makes the case in those three New Testament passages I gave you, the Bible makes the case that that's the way all of us are saved. None of us are saved based on our performance because we're all flawed people. We're all sinful people. None of us are saved based on our performance or our goodness. No, it's always based on our faith that we believe the Lord. And because we believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins, by faith we believe that, then His righteousness is put into our account. That's how we become righteous before God. That's the only way you're going to go to heaven, by the way. You don't have holiness. You're you're not a holy person apart from your faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I I wish we had more time. I'm going to have to move on. But that is such an important passage of Scripture. Now, to reassure Abram of what he planned to do, God made a covenant with Abraham. And in the ancient days, it was called cutting a covenant, if you want to write that down. Cutting a covenant. There's another big name for it, but but essentially what you need to know is God cut a covenant with Abraham. Here's what it is in verse 10. It's going to sound weird, but it's going to be special once we kind of walk through it. Verse 10. Abram brought all of these, I'm sorry, let's start um, verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Because there's still Canaanites here. It's not like you brought me to an empty land. There's Canaanites living here so how can I be sure that I'll gain possession of it? Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Verse 10, Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, that's where we get the idea of cutting a covenant, cut them in two, and arrange the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants... Watch this. I want you to know this for certain. I don't want there to be any doubt. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Talking about the... When they go down to Egypt, four generations or 400 years, but I will punish the nation to serve as slave, the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In other words, you're never really going to see what I've promised. Do you get that? I've promised you something. I promised you a land and I promised you a seed descendants. And I just want to go ahead and be upfront with you. You're never really going to see it. Verse 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, now watch this beginning verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land. And then he gives the boundaries from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, and all those other people. And he says, On that day, the Lord said to your descendants, I give this land. There was a cutting of the covenant between God and Abraham. You say, Well, what's all this stuff about these, these animals cut in half? Here, here's what was happening. In that day, when you were going to cut a covenant with someone, you would cut the animal in half, lay each, you know, one part here, one part here, and you would walk through it declaring what the covenant was. It was a covenant between two people. And you would walk through declaring what the covenant is, and the reason you did this, this grotesque kind of thing, it was a way of declaring, if I break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. It was a way of declaring, I am so committed to this covenant the two of us are making that as I walk through these carcasses cut in half, if I break this covenant, may the same thing happen to me. Now here's the cool thing about this covenant. Usually it's two people involved and it's a conditional covenant. That's why they have to walk through and they make the promise to one another. This was an unconditional covenant. And Abram didn't walk through. In fact, God put him, as- to, uh, put him asleep. God walked through. That's what the fire and the smoke represents. The, the, the presence of God, the spirit of God, comes through, and it was God declaring, "I'm making this covenant with you, and watch this. It is an unconditional covenant. It's not a covenant based on you. It's not a covenant based on your promises to me. It is a covenant based on my promises to you. The Abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant where God promised, I'm going to give you this land. Which makes the next chapter very interesting. And we're really going to have to go quick now. Um, But we, we at least got to get to this next chapter. This next chapter is very interesting because God makes this big promise, this big covenant. I mean, it's almost funny when you read it. You just got to read it and kind of understand it. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife... Wait wait, minute, wait a minute. If God made you that covenant, if God cut a covenant with you, is that kind of a high spiritual thing for you? Absolutely. Is that something you're going to remember for a while? Absolutely. Is that something you're going to be committed to? Absolutely. Now read what happened. very next thing that happened. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. There again, we're reminded she's childless and barren. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. I underline in my Bible, perhaps I can. God hasn't. God hasn't given me any children. God hasn't opened my womb. God hasn't given us those descendants we've been waiting for. Perhaps I can build a family through her. What do you do? Second part of verse 2, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. After Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Look at verse 16 for sake of time. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Question. How long had he been living in the land of Canaan according to that text? Did you catch it? Ten years. I told you I've been journaling as I read through uh, uh, Galatians with you. I mean... the. Uh, Genesis with you all. The Lord showed me something the other day when I, when I was reading these chapters and I just, I just wrote it down. Um, it says in verse 2 and 3 that, that Abram agreed to what Sarai said. He'd been living in Canaan for 10 years. He'd been waiting on this promised seed for 10 years. God's just cut a covenant with him and once again reminded him, I'm going to give you this land and the descendants to go into it. But he's been waiting for ten years. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. This is what I wrote down in my journal. There's something about the passing of time that weakens our faith. Had Sarah made the suggestion ten minutes after the Lord's covenant with Abram, he clearly would have rejected it. Had she made the suggestion ten days, or even ten months after the covenant promise, Abram would have refused to go along with it. But ten years after the covenant promise, his faith appears to be wavering. We're all tempted to take matters into our own hands from time to time. That is especially true when we grow tired of waiting on God. Faith is rewarded when you believe ten years from now what you believed on day one. Faith is rewarded when you believe 10 years from now what you believed on day one. Don't let time steal your confidence. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's not going to. I think I can get a couple more chapters in if you'll just hang tight for about four minutes. In chapter 17, God says, okay, I've made you this covenant. I've cut this covenant with you. Now I want to give you a sign that I'm going to fulfill it. And so in chapter 17, Abraham is given the sign of circumcision. All the males were circumcised in his family as a sign of this covenant, as a sign that God was going to give them children and descendants And in chapter 17, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. Just simply as a recognition, God is about to do something here. God is about to do something. And in chapter 18, God promises that Sarah will get pregnant. Let's turn there in chapter 18. Well, By the way... The, when in chapter 17 Abram was 99 years old verse 1 Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and said I am God Almighty walk before me and be blameless I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers wait a minute <laughs> do you understand I'm 99 now I've been hearing this for a while verse 3 Abram fell face down And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I'm not the father of anybody. And I'm 99. Verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Well, actually, he was the father of Ishmael, wasn't he, by that time? No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And as a way of sealing this deal, as a way of showing this covenant, this promise, God gave them the sign of circumcision. I'll just close by saying, and Sarah is still barren. Sarah still has no children. And Abram, Abraham now, ninety-nine years old. It's an amazing story. Come back next week and we'll finish Abraham and run our way through the rest of Genesis. God bless you. You're dismissed.